Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the $1.6 billion gaming acquisition podcast, The Sportacast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I love it. I love it. Our guest is Jason Robbins, CEO of DraftKings. And Jason, I, I hope you're a listener to the show to explain that crazy opening. Whatever the topic is, I'd like Eben to throw a little descriptor in there before he says whatever the, the podcast is. Sometimes he lets me down. Sometimes he comes through in the clutch. And, you know, sometimes we get that, you know, really, really the specific <laughs> descriptor. So uh, I'm sorry you had to sit through that. But uh, thanks for joining us, Jason. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So what would be the right description for DraftKings these days? I know a few years ago, it's so simple, you know, a fantasy company and then, you know, sports betting. But my Lord, they, like you're all over our pages in, the, in, in recent weeks and months. So if somebody said to you, hey, Jason, what is DraftKings? What's the answer? Uh, I think we're an entertainment platform, first and foremost. We, you know, try to do things to engage customers and uh, give them, you know, fun experiences that uh, really we use the term um, skin in the game, allow them to have some skin in the game when they're watching sports, playing games and other sorts of things. And, um, you know, our customers love the thrill of competing and winning. They love the thrill of, you know, being able to, you know, follow their favorite sports and their favorite players and, um, you know, having an invested interest in the game outcomes is a big part of it. Let me take you back, if I may, because as you know, we're about a year and a half into Sportico, about a year into publishing uh, since I took the leap a, a, and, and tried this. And I'm always fascinated if you can take me back to the days when you were sitting, you know, in, in your little apartment or something and, and ideation. Um, did you ever... I know you hope for great success, but what was the moment where you were like, uh-oh, th this may not work, and um, what got you through that? Oh, there were not, and by the way, that's not to say I'm experiencing that with Sportico. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm, because I, I am full, full throttle. We're loving it. It's great. It's all good. I'm just curious for founders and people who do, if they've had those moments and how you push through. Well, if you haven't had one of those moments, uh, consider yourself lucky. I've had many. Um, you know, there's uh, no one moment. There's been quite a few where uh, where you think that even today, and it wasn't you know necessarily um, will the business work, but we just launched our NFT marketplace. We had uh, you know the initial um, drops were these Tom Brady uh, collections and. 
I, um, you know, was freaking out our partner autograph on text message saying, you know, just to set expectations. I'm not sure if all these are going to sell out. I don't know if we got the pricing and the quantities right. And, um, you know, I was really doubting. Uh, I don't know why, because the team did great work. But, you know, it was one of those moments. And, uh, of course, I was wrong. Um, the first 5,000 sold out in 12 minutes. The next 2,500 in six minutes. And the last 1,500 sold out in two minutes. So, um, it's been pretty pretty amazing to watch. And you can go all the way back to the beginning when we first launched the product and we had all these different competitors for daily fantasy sports in the market. We were probably like the 20th or 30th to launch. And, um, you know, I just didn't know if we would do well. We had about 100 people sign up. I think it was 101 exactly for our first game. And on the one hand, I was thrilling and I was excited. And the other hand, I was like, wow, we had 101 people. There's platforms out there with tens of thousands of people. How are we ever going to catch up to that? Um, and there's been many of those moments since then. There's been times where, um, you know, outside challenges from, uh, you know, media regulators, others made me, you know, feel like things weren't going great. And, um, you know, it's just part of, as you know, starting a business, it's very up and down. You got to try to stay even keel and just, you know, keep a steady head through all of it. But it's not always easy. Evan, have I done that? Am, am I doing okay? Steady head, <laughs> even keel. How am I doing? You tell me. Yeah. Which day of the week is it? Yeah. Today's Wednesday. Yeah. You're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> no comment, Evan. <laughs> well, that that's you're funny. I good. have told people. You, let me know if you found this too, Jason. Like what? Like what? People say, oh, it's Friday. Oh, it's Tuesday. I'm like, I have no idea what day of the week it is because it does not matter to me. <laughs> it's, you know, other than my son having a hockey game or a baseball game. Somehow I still find myself on a work call, no matter what the day is, or thinking about work, or worrying about work, or wondering what's next, or how can we do better? What are the possible pitfalls? So it sounds like I, I'm, I'm. It sounds like you and I are aligned in that the brain never shuts off. Do you find that to be the no, case? Never. I mean, it's not even just you know days of the week. It's uh, the concept of what I used to think of um, when I was in corporate America of a vacation is completely. Uh, gone out the window. You know, you're just never off. There's always something going on. And you know, somebody told me once, hey, you know what you really should do? You should, when you go on, um, you know, out uh, to dinner, leave your phone at home or, you know, something like that. I said, you have to understand that would stress me out way more. I wouldn't be able to get it off my mind because I'd be thinking something's going wrong. People are trying to reach me. Um, you know, so it, it just always feels like in the back of your mind, um, you kind of got to keep one eye uh, looking at things or one ear uh, listening to things. And, um, you know, it never really feels like you can turn it off. All right. I'm going to give you one more glimpse into my psychosis, Jason. I tell people <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I don't pick up the phone, one, I'm in one of two places. I'm either in the New York City subway and there's nothing I can do about that. You know, in between stations, maybe I'll call you back and let you know where I am or I'm in the shower. But the truth of it is <laughs> I now lean my phone you know, face forward up against the glass. So if it rings, I can take a peek and I don't want to miss a news story. I don't want to miss Eben Novi Williams because it's probably a breaking news alert, right? So uh, even in the shower now, I'm paying attention because I don't want to miss. What about else. sleep? You, you just have it next good, to you question. and you're ready to wake up in any moment? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that term. Um, <laughs> I, I put the phone on vibrate and put it under the pillow so I don't wake anybody up. But there have been occasions where... Uh, you know, whether it's different time zone or something, I need to take the call, but I want to get some sleep. So the vibration will wake me up and I'll take the call. Edmund, help me. I don't want to go too far down my crazy rabbit hole. Go. No, I'll bring us back on the rails here. Jason, you mentioned the NFT marketplace. This feels like a pretty huge moment for your company. 
that there's an easy kind of through line here between daily fantasy to sports betting to iGaming to a degree. Now, all of a sudden, having a kind of a totally different thing, which is a marketplace for digital collectibles, feels like it's a new iteration and I'm sure there's more coming. Am I thinking about that right? Do you feel like you've, in this week specifically, kind of suddenly jumped into being something much bigger than you were even a week ago? It's, I, I think so. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because uh, there's still a lot of work to do. We, we have so many things we want to do with the marketplace and functions and uh, functionality and features to add. Um, and, you know, we have a lot to do to continue to, to build on that momentum. But I think you're right in the sense that um, we, we always said to each other, if you look at what makes great tech companies, it's that they've created this brand and this notion in people's mind, whether it's the consumer, the investor, whoever it is, that they can do anything and do it well. And they've gone outside of what maybe people would think was their you know, core competency and proven time and again, we can execute in multiple areas. They also have a lot of failures, too, so they're not afraid to take shots at things. Um, but that was always our ambition was to stretch uh, you know, the thinking of what people consider DraftKings to be. Um, and I think today was a great step in that direction. And uh, hopefully we can continue that momentum. Are there companies that you look at in maybe other sectors that you think, wow, they did that properly? They were one thing. They got a lot of a lot of customers and they were able to grow that into something much bigger. We talk about Amazon a lot. You know, it started as a bookseller and look at them now. They've been doing, you know, pretty much everything you can imagine. Uh, and, um, you know, I think they're a great example uh, of that. Um, and you know, some, 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 a lot of parallels there too, right. Where they have a customer, um, they have, you know, the customer's payment info on file and, you know, unlike certain other types of tech companies that are advertising, uh, driven, um, you know, they're primarily transaction driven. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of things that we look at that they did are great lessons. And, uh, I was reading an, an article, um, the other day it was an interview with Jeff Wilkie, uh, who had recently retired when he gave the interview from Amazon. And um, he talked about how they did it. And it was fascinating to me. I was soaking it all in. You know, basically the concept was they would launch these new efforts and they would completely segment them off from the rest of the business. And uh, for two reasons. One is they wanted to make sure they didn't distract from the core business. But also, um, in his words, I believe, I hope I don't butcher this, they didn't want these new things to get swallowed up by the mothership. Um, and it was just so insightful in the way he described it. There are a lot more interesting things in that interview, too. But I, I try to read from, you know, whenever there is somebody like that that's willing to give you, uh, you know, a little bit of, of insight into how, how they did it and learn from it. Um, and, you know, they're a great example of one that we look up to. And we think one day, hopefully, we can achieve some of the types of things that they've achieved. We're chatting with Jason Robbins, CEO of DraftKings, which, in case you didn't know, is an entertainment platform company. Uh, Jason, uh, you said you gleaned some insights from people. Can I ask you and pick your brain on what do you see for Amazon moving forward? Andy Jassy is a big sports fan. They're, they've dabbled in sports. Uh, what can we expect from Amazon in terms of whether it be platform as a broadcaster, um, e-commerce? <laughs> Where do you see them going in sports, particularly in terms of broadcasting? Well, I don't want to speak for them, but it seems like they're certainly making a big push into sports. Um, that NFL deal they did was pretty big for them. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon's the largest buyer of live sports rights in a few years. I really wouldn't. Um, I don't know, of course, but they're clearly investing a lot in content in general. And I think sports is 
an area they've clearly shown some real commitment and interest to. So, um, you know, wouldn't surprise me at all if that's where we find ourselves. Or that's where they find themselves in a few years. How about you guys? I, I'm sure media is on your radar to a degree. You've already, you know, you've, you dove in with Dan Lebitard's show. Um, what do you think about DraftKings from a bidding on live rights, having live rights in, in, in your platform? What's in the tea leaves for you? Well, we've definitely uh, started to put some real effort towards this. I've always had the view that media and gaming are so synergistic. Um, you know, fantasy sports and sports bettors are so much more likely to consume more content. And it's a virtuous cycle. It's a flywheel where that additional content consumption then drives more demand for our, uh, our, our gaming products and our fantasy products as well. So I think that, you know, there's a clear synergistic relationship there. But until... Recently, we never really had the, the ability and the resources to invest in it. Um, now we do. So we're going to make a real push. Uh, we recently hired a, a chief media officer, a guy named Brian Angelette. Um, and, you know, he's putting together a strategy. He's been here about 90 days that we're all very excited about. And so, um, you know, some of the moves we made already, you mentioned Levitar. We bought a, a VSIN, the Vegas Sports Information Network, which, you know, had established themselves as a leader in the early days of sports betting content. Um, they have a really great team that we're really excited to be, you know, adding to the DraftKings uh, uh, family. And, um, you know, I think we're going to we're going to figure it out. I can't sit here and tell you that I have a, a master plan just yet, but. Um, I think the fact that there's so much synergy, um, to me, just it makes all the sense in the world. And um, we're going to do it through a combination of things we build, but also through partnerships that we strike as well. And, um, you know, probably through some M&A along the way, too. Jason, you're talking to the rarest of the rare birds here. I, on one hand, and Eben knows this because I check it every day and it annoys him, but uh, I've invested in Ethereum. So I, I, I like that world. On the other hand, I have a cable bundle. So, you know, who would know? I'm a man of all. But uh, when you talked about your partnership with Autograph, there was no crypto there, U- U.S. dollars only. What was the thought process there? And, you know, I'm now for and I'm being obviously clear to everybody that I that I do have some holdings in Ethereum. So I am a cheerleader at this point. I, I am absolutely being transparent, but you're not helping my cause by not taking crypto. What was the thinking there? Well, I think we've said that that is something we might do down the line. Um, You know, I do think there will be people that want to buy Ethereum or other forms of crypto. Um, But really, we were looking to make this mainstream. And I'm, by the way, I'm the same as you. I have a cable bundle and I own Ethereum. Um, I also own some CryptoPunks. So uh, I'm I'm, I'm the same uh, rarity that you are. But I I um, love it. Yeah, it's great. But I, I, you know, I also recognize that it's a very small percentage of the population still that dabbles in that stuff relative to, you know, people who have fiat currency. And so as we thought about what is the initial product we want to bring to market, how do we want to drive the most demand and the most excitement um, and really make it mainstream? um, We thought, you know, having the ability to buy in fiat currency should be the priority, the first priority. Um, and, you know, we might potentially look at adding crypto down the line, but because um, I do understand there's an audience that really would want to see that as well. Um, but we, we just decided that starting with U.S. dollars was the best way to go. I mean, you, you know, Eben, I think I have the secret to success here for DraftKings, Amazon, as we're triangulating these successful companies. It's people feel very comfortable giving you the credit card number. <laughs> that, that's not everybody. How do you earn that trust? I mean, I mean, if you're going to make a bet, I guess you have to. But 
it just seems like it's ingrained. It's just part. People are very comfortable turning over that information to you, but that's not the case everywhere. We hear a lot about privacy. Um, did you have to work at that or is that just part and parcel of what you are or what you were that it, they had to be comfortable with that setup? Well, I think first in general, people have gotten so comfortable using credit cards on the internet. Um, it's just so commonplace. It's the, you know, by far number one payment method across uh, the internet in the U.S. So, um, not surprised that that's something that um, people are getting more and more comfortable with, given how, how commonplace it is. Um, I also think that the credit card companies themselves have done a great job of protecting consumers and people feel comfortable that, you know, maybe it's some headaches, um, but, you know, it's not nearly as difficult as if somebody gets a hold of your debit card or something else, right? The credit card companies ultimately are um, you know, pretty good about making sure the consumer is protected and if something fraudulent does happen about taking care of you. And then I do think you're right that we also had to work to earn trust um, um, amongst our customers. And I think being a regulated entity helps. I think people know that regulators put additional scrutiny on companies like DraftKings and that that, you know, means that there's a, a level of, uh, you know, sort of uh, trust and, and security that they can feel using our products and putting their credit cards in. Um, so, you know, I think it's a combination of kind of the macro trends, the credit card companies themselves, and the trust that we built with our customers. We're speaking with Jason Robbins, CEO of DraftKings. Jason, I want to make sure we get to some other big news from DraftKings this week. Uh, on Monday, you guys announced a $1.56 billion all-stock deal and acquisition of the Golden Nuggets Online Gaming. This is a play into iGaming, online casino games. Walk us through the thinking here. Obviously, a big price tag, but walk us through what you're thinking about when you you know, look to acquire a company like that. Well, first of all, um, they've done a tremendous job, uh, and they were actually, um, prior to sports betting launching in New Jersey, they were number one in market uh, in the iGaming um, sector, which is pretty remarkable. They're probably, you know, 15, 20 companies. Obviously, the sports betting world has exploded now with all the cross-sell. Um, you know, they're not quite there anymore, but uh, they definitely have a, a really strong brand that resonates, um, and it resonates with a different segment of the audience than DraftKings. DraftKings customer base, as we sort of compared our demographics to theirs, was quite different. Um, and so, you know, it really felt like this was a way for us to uh, be able to get, you know, an incremental segment of the audience that we were having, you know, not as much success reaching with the DraftKings brand today. They have a great team, um, really excited about the people that are coming over and um, really looking forward to working with them. Uh, and of course, you got Tillman, who, um, you know, is uh, not only an incredibly smart guy and strategic guy, he's an incredibly successful entrepreneur. He also owns the Golden Nugget brick and mortar casinos. He owns the Landry's restaurant conglomerate. He owns the Houston Rockets. And as part of this deal, we were able to get a commercial relationship with all those entities and those are all really good partners to have between the database access, the you know access to having marketing and signage in the brick and mortar settings. The Rockets obviously are you know in a very large uh, metropolitan area in a very large state um, and are a very popular team. Um, so a lot of things to like even outside of the Golden Nugget online gaming asset itself, which of course we're very excited about. What's a bigger opportunity for you guys long term? Is it sports betting or is it iGaming, do you think? Well, I think uh, a lot of that depends on legislation. And, you know, obviously sports betting is caught on a, a little bit faster in legislative uh, chambers across the country than iGaming has. But there's no doubt that, you know, 
once legalized, iGaming is a bigger market. Um, I think the numbers prove that out and all the different places that, that have launched both. Um, there's four states now and Connecticut's on its way as the fifth that have launched both. And I think it's pretty clear, uh, you know, looking at the market and even looking at our numbers that the iGaming uh, revenue opportunity is bigger. I'm fascinated by the demographics you, you mentioned in that acquisition. You had different customer base. You skew mail or, you know, DraftKings skewed mail, yet iGaming, it, it was more female, which I, I, I scratch my head because sports fans, we hear it all the time from whether it's the NBA, the NFL. Oh, 50 percent of our fans are female. Why were you not capturing that audience? And, and what do you do to capture them outside of go get them another way, which is to you know, spend one point five, six billion dollars on a company? Well, I think part of it is that, um, you know, sports bettors by nature are more heavily male, um, whether it's DraftKings or anybody. Um, and, you know, it's not true in iGaming. Golden Nuggets database is roughly 50-50 male-female. Um, so I think that's a difference. Uh, our average customer age is a bit younger, early 30s. Um, theirs is, you know, a little bit older than that, which, um, again, I think is a, just a function of sort of how we built out our initial brand and our customer base. It was in a new product, Daily Fantasy Sports, and products that are new tend to have a younger audience, younger generations adopting them a bit faster. Um, it was something that the world hadn't seen before. Uh, whereas, you know, traditional casino games have had a long, long time to build audiences um, that, you know, over time have aged. And so it naturally makes sense that the online casino audience is going to be on average a bit older than the, the daily fantasy audience, which is where we initially built uh, and where a lot of our cross sell into sports betting and iGaming has come from. Does being a public company hinder long term growth? Are, 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 is it tough for a visionary to lead a public company because you have to hit those quarter to quarter rather than perhaps uh, explain to shareholders it might take a dip, revenue, whatever, might take a dip this quarter, but long term, this is better for the company? You know, we talked about Amazon earlier, and I think they're a great example where that doesn't have to be a trade-off. Um, they've been public for you know decades and have managed to continue to grow and continue to generate more and more uh, you know, avenues for value, innovate in different areas. Um, and there's lots of other companies that you can put in the same category. So uh, I don't think so. I think certainly if you fall victim to thinking too short term, then that can be the case. But as you know, the leader of the company, you have to make sure that doesn't happen. You also have to set the right expectations with your shareholders. Tell them what you're going to do. Um, and, you know, if you got the right people backing you, then they're going to they're going to stick with you and they're going to you know believe in the things that you're investing in. And I also think we're in a very fortunate position right now where um, our growth numbers are so strong that um, we don't have to worry too much about that for at least the next few years. I think we're going to have really, really strong growth um, just continuing to execute in the uh the businesses we're in today. And um, I don't take that lightly because that's a, a window that, that eventually will close. And so what we have to do during that is find what are the next big things going to be and start seeding those things. And um, hopefully, you know, as the, the growth slows down uh, several years down the road in the sports betting and iGaming and daily fantasy sports, uh, you know, core products that we have, we'll have the next set of things that we, you know, are looking to launch today and next year that'll uh, really be hitting their stride and generating that next wave of growth. 
Jason, uh, I don't know how many of our listeners are in New York, but I'd imagine it's a pretty good percentage of them. And some interesting news out of the state. There's a RFP process for for mobile betting in the state. We got to look at who the final bidders were this week, and DraftKings and FanDuel are teaming up as part of uh, as part of a bid. Another thing that jumped out to me is the the inclusion in in, in a lot of these bids of of, of sports teams in, in New York State. I believe you guys are are, are maybe teaming up with the Yankees and, and the Bills. Give us a sense of your outlook on New York. I know it's a pretty critical state just from a from a from a size of of the of the audience and from the professional sports teams uh, that are, that are here. But but what are you expecting to come out of New York and and how big a deal is it for your company? Well, New York's obviously a huge prize. Um, it is you know, the largest population state that has decided to move forward with legal sports betting um, in, in a framework that works for a competitive market. And, you know, obviously New York's a great sports, you know, town as well. It's uh, there, There's a long history of sports in New York, a long history of winning, huge fan base. Um, so we're pretty excited about the opportunity. And we think the big consortium we put together is really strong. We think, you know, between the um, not just us and FanDuel, but MGM's in there. And, um, you know, that's a huge chunk of, of the market around, uh, you know, some of the states. So, um, you know, we think with that group, uh, we're going to be able to, to have a very compelling story of why, you know, the state should should let us be the ones to do it and um, why we're going to be able to drive the most value in tax revenue. Yeah, Eben used to take his bicycle halfway across the GW Bridge just so he could geolocate to New Jersey to place his bets. That's that's the sign of a true uh, committed person right there. You know, get get to the right spot where your phone recognizes you as, all right, this is close enough to New Jersey. Now you can place your bet. Jason, we'll let you go on this. Who gets credit for the name? How did you come up with it? I, again, I go back to Sportico and I remember sitting around the table. Who was there? What we threw out, the trademark searches, what was available. I think it's a great name. I think FanDuel's good also, by the way. But I, I think DraftKings, are real, it's, a, it's a very good name. Who gets credit for it and, and how much strife was there? Uh, in picking it. My co-founder, Matt Kalish, came up with it. Um, I remember we were working out of Paul, my other co-founder's spare bedroom at uh, his old house in Watertown, Massachusetts. We would go over, you know, uh, after work around seven, eight o'clock. And, um, you know, one night Matt sat down and in true Matt fashion, because he always has this whole plan and everything thought through. He not only had the name, but he had like a logo sketched out and other things. And um, he said, listen, I think this should be the name. And, um, you know, for a moment we were all like, cause it's a big decision. Like you said, to pick the name and it's hard. It's kind of like, um, a weird way. Uh, I'll make an analogy here. Like when I was picking, um, with my wife, the names of my children and, you know, each, you eventually love it. Right. But in the beginning you're like, all right, I'm going to pick this name and then we're going to have to live with this for, in the, the kid's case for the rest of their lives. And, you don't want to mess it up. So you're, you're almost overthinking it and feeling the pressure. But uh, after that kind of initial, oh, I don't know, it just sort of like kept rolling off the tongue and it just felt right. And uh, I got to give Matt full credit for that. Right. But nobody thought of doing the trademark search to see if it was available. We went through. We that did do it. the trademark oh. search, too. But shortly after, it was not, you know, the first thing that we did. Um, thankfully, it was because after we decided we liked it, it would have been disappointing to have to give it up. But we did do that once we decided it was the name that we liked. Cool. All right. Well, Jason, thanks so much. Uh, we, we do appreciate you joining us. Uh, great stuff. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Evan, I got to say, really happy with Jason Robbins joining us. And I love when CEOs will look outward to other companies, other leaders, other visionaries, and discuss what they learned, what they took, what they borrowed, what they see, 
And he was willing to do that with Amazon. I, I really do uh, enjoy and appreciate that. Yeah, I think you get a good sense right now of where DraftKings sees itself in in five or ten years, and and you, 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 there's not many companies you can aim higher at than than Amazon. But he's right. Amazon started as one specific thing and grew very quickly into a platform that does a lot of things, a lot of different things for a lot of people. And it seems pretty clear that Jason sees DraftKings that way. It started in a kind of a narrow segment of daily fantasy sports and has expanded into kind of similar things in online casino gaming and online sports betting. But now we're seeing the NFT marketplace. It certainly seems like the beginning. He's talking about media. I think the, the, the idea here is that platform is the right, right idea and the right name for this company as it expands. Exactly. We are an entertainment platform. That says it all. Not a sports betting company, not daily fantasy, not betting, an entertainment platform. And, and speaking of you know reaching new heights, um, I, I hate having regret in these interviews, but should have closed it by asking him if, if and whenever he retires, will he jet off into space? You know, if he's really following in Jeff Bezos's lead. You know, although by then, who knows? Maybe we you know, we'll go to the moon or whatever. Who knows? He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Cora Veltman is our social media editor, and she loves when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network.